The Denver Nuggets are NBA champions. Welcome back to the NBA show on the Mojo Sports Network. As always, I'm your host, Alexander J. At the top of today's show, I talked to Yuri Bilsic about everything we saw in that rock fight of Game 5 in the Miami-Denver series. And then I'm joined by Tom Dev and Jack Brophy to talk about the whole series, some interesting things that we pick apart from Game 5, and then we move on to some exciting trades and scenarios for the offseason for both Jack's Detroit Pistons and the Portland Trailblazers. As always, you can follow the show at Mojo Sports Networks on Instagram. We have lots of international viewers, and if you're one of those, we thank you very much. Consider leaving us a rating and enjoy the show. I'm here with Yuri Bilsic, our mini basketball encyclopedia, right after the game of, uh, at the end of game five, excuse me, a very exciting game for all the fans of the Denver Nuggets and a very exciting game for probably neutral basketball as well. I know a lot of people like to see a city or a town win their first championship. Uh, Yuri, this one ended the Denver Nuggets beating the Miami Heat 94-89 in a slog. It really was a bit sloppy and there was a big emphasis on defense uh, through most of this game. Talk me through um, the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear of Miami Heat win the NBA title. Hi, Alex. Yeah, so it was a very hard-fought, battle-tested game five, and we saw multiple offensive possessions where it ended up being an absolutely empty possession in itself, especially in the final term where both teams' offense just completely hit the wall. And we saw basically one, the final four minutes when Jimmy Butler, not for the first time, during these playoffs, came alive. He hit two threes on consecutive Miami possessions. And the other one, which Aaron Gordon was called for that foul, that was certainly questionable in a way because what else was Gordon supposed to do in terms of his guarding position? You could see clearly that Butler's right leg went out to kick him and you're thinking, surely the call's got to be overturned. But then the referees, after reviewing it, basically just said, no, it was just... He didn't have any landing space after his jumper. Definitely an iffy call while the game is within three or four points with like four minutes remaining. So I think the point you're talking at, um, and I might set this up really briefly, is Miami entered the final quarter up by one point. Pretty and probably they shot pretty poorly from the the floor. Um, Denver just had a lot of turnovers, giving Miami some points. They, they being Miami, didn't score from the nine and a half minute in the fourth quarter to the four and a half minute in the fourth quarter. So five minutes without scoring the basketball. And that's when Jimmy Butler hit two threes in a row and then uh, gets fouled on this third three-point attempt. So he would go on to score, I think, 13 points in a row, which is pretty incredible, even though he, I think he had eight points for the whole game up until that point. It was shooting pretty poorly. Um, thoughts on Jimmy Butler's performance tonight, Yuri? I thought at times, Alex, again, and probably during this series and we saw probably during the conference finals against Boston that he was hesitant and saw numerous times as well the switches, especially I think with the Struce pick and roll action where they switched from Contavious Caldwell Pope trying to get Jamal Murray onto Jimmy Butler. That was the Heat's strategy throughout the series and it worked because Aaron Gordon was Butler's primary defender during these NBA finals. But for Miami, what they wanted to do right was to constantly throw these actions where Butler would assign himself down on the post, mm. have Mutler have, sorry, should I say, Murray guarding him who basically gives up, was it, I think about three, four inches in size mm. and just allow Jimmy to go to work. And he did that at times. But, 
yet again, I think, to the free-throw discrepancy, especially from, what, game one where Miami had a, basically was a playoff low in the entirety of the NBA playoffs history, yep. two free-throws. So it was something, again, that I don't think they could have got going at various stages throughout these finals. And I think that was a plan that did work at times, but they sort of needed more in a way. And I think we saw as well today game five with Bam and Bam had it going very early. It wasn't 14 points in the first quarter, but then after that, he missed a lot of those gettable short jumpers. I have that written down as ones, well, yeah. Yeah, especially the ones that he missed in game four as well when Miami basically couldn't cash in on those non-Jokic minutes when he picked up his fifth foul, yeah. basically what late in the third period. and We're in the same wavelength, Yuri. Yeah. I've got that in my notes that Bam has 18 points in the first half, finishes with 20. Um, he missed five at the rim in the game, including four late. I think all four were in the fourth quarter, if one of them might have been late in the third. Um, but he did have five offensive rebounds. So it was a, kind of a, um, a hard game to judge Bam by because he came out of the gate. He played an incredible defense on Jokic, I thought, early. And I want you to tell me if you've seen this earlier in the series. Only something I noticed today is he's sealing out Bam and... Um, in in the low post and he's not contesting the rebounds at all. It's like they game plan for another heat member to come in to get the rebound. I think it might be because Jokic has that quick second burst. So if Bam goes up for that rebound, he's allowing Jokic to get the second attempt. So I did notice in game five, like Bam early was not even trying to rebound. He was just boxing out Jokic, which I thought was an interesting quirk that I hadn't seen so far. I think from game one to Alex, it was a plan that Miami had was to try and be physical with Jokic. And we saw it again today mm. in game five, where there's trying to deny him that post position where he would just easily go to work. Because once he did today, Alex, he was just, it was like a bully truck pretty much just bouncing his way through the rim. And I think what you mentioned upon as well with Bam trying to block out Jokic, because we've seen it so many times during his career, and during these playoffs, whenever he misses a shot, he's able to just get to that spot. Mm. And all of a sudden, if he doesn't tip it in once, he'll tip it again with the big mitt of his and get through for the hoop for the second chance. And I think there's something, again, they deliberately made the effort. Although I think there was a play during the third period. I think it was about seven minutes left. And I can't remember who missed the jumper, but then Jokic over Kevin Love got his yeah. first pair of mitts into it. And Love was just looking over him. It was, it, was, it was like Love was about four or five inches shorter than him on the actual play. But again, it's one of those ones as a big man and not you can't teach big men this in terms of being in the right spot, in terms of boxing out or in terms of getting that second chance put back in. And it's something he just has that uncanny ability of doing. And again, we saw it right on firsthand. And yeah, it's just another just truly phenomenal performance. So we've, we've spoken about the Miami Heat for the first five minutes of the show. So this is a good point to jump into the Denver Nuggets. I'll give you the stat lines for their three major players and you can pick where you want to go, Yuri. Um, yep. Jokic had 28 points, 16 rebounds, four assists, was limited to just four. Michael Porter Jr. had the Michael Porter Jr. game early. He ended up with 16 points, 13 rebounds and three assists for him. Um, and Jamal Murray finished with just 14 points, but he had eight rebounds and eight assists. Um, the team itself shot okay from the floor, 45%, but just 17% from distance. I think it was three on 28 attempts or something ridiculous. Um, where do you want to start with the Denver Nuggets? The NBA think, champion Denver Nuggets, I should say. Yes, absolutely, Alex. 47 long years. Hey, it's just been incredible. And considering the last probably four or five seasons, they've been steadily building towards this championship contender now, which has become reality. 
Just touching upon first about the three-point shooting. Yes, they're only five of 28, and Jokic made their only three. It was off a Murray pin down. They yeah. sort of ran a little bit of a flex action, and Murray set the pin down screen for Jokic to pop open from that top of the key three. So that was their only triple for the entirety of the first half. I think they were one of 15. and It might have been Jokic's of, first shot for the game too, if I yeah, remember. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yep, and they were three of 23 at the end of three, and, of course, only shot five of 28 from downtown. And normally Denver doesn't take a lot of threes too. They normally op- operate lower round from the mid-range, unless, of course, you're Contavious Caldwell Pope who takes, what, five, six, three, five to six triples per game. I think, firstly, we'll touch on Jokic, Alex, too, because I think Eric Spolstra touched upon this after Miami's game two win, and he said it's just very ridiculous to discredit what Jokic has done considering, yes, he only had the four assists in game two of that loss and was at 41 points and about 11 rebounds and four assists. And I don't think in the way, or maybe in the way, should I say that, Miami implemented this strategy to make him a scorer first and Mm. pass second. And because we've touched about this on length third the last couple of months during the regular season too, when Nikola Jokic only takes two, three field goals and ends up having, what, six, seven assists in the first period or the first half alone, it just spells danger. Mm. And, of course, that wasn't going to happen today because Miami did their best to physically defend him, especially Bam Adebayo. But it's the other parts of the game where Jokic just killed him, especially in game four. What was he, three of seven from downtown? And I think that was the most amount of three-point attempts he'd taken during these playoffs. And I think... We saw during the first round series against Minnesota, the second round series against Phoenix, against the Lakers, what were the same devising strategies that all three teams had? They barely paid any attention to him when he was at the top of the arc. They just allowed him to shoot the ball, which was an absurdly ridiculous strategy to say the least. And again, the same ploy happened during these playoffs. And what did he shoot? 42.1% from deep and 58.3% from the field. And I think teams... during the regular season as well, didn't make a concerted effort to guard up and close down that airspace. But the the other thing you have to be concerned about too, as well during these finals, was that I think there was a play late in game four, Alex, and the score was about 81-73 and Miami was starting to make their run. Mm. And there was a swing pass that Murray gave to Jokic. The thing was though, they closed out on him and Aaron Gordon, who was basically what, two feet from the rim, Jokic just casually throws his lob pass to him, which he just softly lays it in. That's the concerted worry that you have as well if you're on opposition defense because you don't want to allow him to shoot those threes. But at the same time, you want to guard that airspace, but also you're worried as well that he's just going to throw this pass, which he's credited to back to his water polo days as well, Alex. says <laughs> deep bullet passes they touched upon, I think, was a couple of games ago in commentary why his passing is so majestical, and that's the reason why. Keeping on Jokic, um, that two-man game him and Jamal Murray have developed has obviously crushed a lot of teams this postseason. Um, a stat I've just caught before we jumped on a lot of the stats coming out, uh, Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, sorry, Nikola Jokic, uh, the third most points for a title-winning duo in NBA history, 56.1 per game. Only Kobe and Shaq and Steph Curry and Durant are above them. I thought Miami did a half okay in this game, um, kind of disrupting that two-man game. They weren't really sagging off, but they were playing that zone defense and almost giving uh, Murray, I thought, a little bit of space to make him think and pause because obviously Nikola Jokic doesn't have to think can, with his height, utilize that. But every time Jamal Murray got the ball, I thought 
giving him a bit of space and they created some turnovers and steals. Murray did finish with eight assists and they won the game. But I thought uh, Miami did something unique a bit there, at least for a couple of plays late in the game. Um, anything you want to touch on with Jamal Murray or anyone else in the Denver Nuggets? Oh, absolutely, Alex. This has been one road journey back in probably a week ago. I watched on the NBA YouTube channel about his path back from the, unfortunately, that dreaded ACL injury, which he ruptured against Golden State back on April 12, 2021, and the bearing pain that he had to endure. And he basically recounted that the first whatever handful of months was tough. He had this throbbing pain in his knee to the point where he couldn't roll over on one side just because of the maximum pain that his knee was giving him after rupturing his anterior cruciate ligament. And to see him come back this season steadily, basically recapture that form that made him what what should be, he should be an all-star, Alex. So just say it like that. And considering the West is so heavily laden with talented guards, we could probably talk about for hours too, but we won't. It's, again, it's almost like the credit, again, that him, Nicole Jokic, and the Nuggets deserve for the last four or five seasons that they've been under the radar. And this is what's most damning and grasping both at the same time is that some people didn't pay attention to what the Nuggets had been doing, especially in what, season 2017-18 when they were one game away, that regular season finale against Minnesota, which mm. they lost in overtime. And in 2018-19, they could have made the conference finals. They could have given Golden State a real run for their money that year. You think of 2020 as well in the bubble, made it through to the conference finals. And in those two years when Murray got hurt, Porter Jr. does his back again for, what, the third time? Mm. And Denver wins, what, 48 games last season because of Jokic's heroics yet again. And they finishes the sixth seed. And... Some someone said that Jokic was arguably the worst MVP ever, which is absurd and ludicrous. And thinking, have you been paying enough attention watching Denver Nuggets basketball for the last five, six seasons? Because they've steadily, under coach Michael Malone, have built a core foundation. Yes, that Gary Harris there. Gary Harris was a tremendous on-ball and off-ball and perimeter defender. But for one thing as well, because Gary's injury history, they had to make that decision to move him on and get Aaron Gordon, which was basically one of the final stabilizing pieces towards Mm. Denver in terms of a defensive identity because the offense was never an issue, Alex. The issue was, can they get enough stops? And when you acquire Bruce Brown for what? Signing to a two-year $13.2 million deal, you get Contavious Caldwell Pope during last summer, and he instantly makes an impact right away. You have Uncle Jeff Green, who definitely <laughs> is 37 years of age, Alex. He could play till he's 45 at this clip. Had an open Brown. heart surgery like 11 yeah, years ago too. Yeah, let's, 2011 let's not as well. That, yeah. His career was in jeopardy back then. It was, what, December 2011. He had to, as you mentioned, had to undergo heart surgery because they found out before Boston Celtics preseason training camp that his tissues in his heart were paper thin. And if he didn't under, opt to undergo surgery, his career will have been over. So it is even more remarkable to think of the fact what he was contributing as well during these playoffs. And again, I'll just tie and reiterate as well. It is about time now that they got their respect. And I mentioned this probably a couple of weeks ago in that five on three opinion article piece that we did. It just has come to reality right now that like the Milwaukee Bucks a couple of years ago for the first time in half a century, yeah. got their claim. The Dallas Mavericks back in 2011, remember all those 
and the Toronto Raptors as well. In I'm wearing the Toronto Raptors, yes. Raptors hat I'm and, pointing at. Yeah. And Alex, what could have been in 2001? We're going a bit down the rabbit hole, right? If Tracy McGrady doesn't opt for free agency and leaves to return back to his hometown and play for the Orlando Magic, what could have been that year as well, playing the Bucks in the conference finals and who knows back then? So, again, these small market teams, and yes, what, they make up four-fifths of the NBA, they finally at least deserve recognition. And lots of great stories in the Nuggets too. So you feel great about the Denver fans, but lots of individual stories like Jamal Murray coming back from the ACL, Michael Porter Jr.'s injury, and Nikola Jokic from Sombor, Serbia, winning his first NBA title and finals MVP. We won't talk about that. Uh, I know you got to run, Yuri, so last point, and I'll let you go. Yeah, just I think one more thing as well too, Alex. And Michael Porter Jr., even though this series – his three-point shooting was down to about 14.3%. He only shot about 32.8% from the field. He averaged a playoff loan. These playoffs, 9.6 points. It was more than that, though. It was some of his defensive efforts, which I think Coach Mark Malone pulled him out after game two. He only yeah. played, I think it was about 26 minutes, and Bruce Brown finished the remainder of that game two heartbreak loss. And I think we saw numerous times during the series as well, he was there altering shots and he altered a few of Jimmy Butler's shots as well. His rebounding today was off the charts. He had, what, 13 rebounds. Mm. And I think for more than his usual smooth pattern of jump shots, he was making an effort to cut and cut towards the rim and get those easy floaters. And there was another play, I think, during the first half as well, Alex, where he missed his own shot, but he stuck with the play. He didn't give up on it. It would have been easy for him to put his head down considering the number of missed shots they had early on and just said, hey, well, just get back on the defensive end and maybe not try. And I think this was always a thing with Michael Porter Jr. Even before he was drafted with the 14th overall pick back in 2018, Alex, that his defensive efforts, you could say, were questionable at the best of times. Mm. But these playoffs... His efforts right throughout were off the scale, barring that game too. And he has got the attributes to be a solid defender at six foot ten and what two hundred and twenty-five pounds, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. He has got that capability to transcend into that next level. And all the pieces are there right now for him. Some people may as well say, Oh yeah, well, there was Contavious Coldwell Pope and Bruce Brown to cover his deficiencies. No. He actually got in there and actually took upon some of the tasks of guarding Jimmy Butler at various stages during these NBA finals and didn't back down one bit. So it's another big positive plus to come away from this series alone too, that they can carry on to next season. And this is, again, I'd say the only the beginning of something glorious, as Coach, as Coach Malone said during the start of his presser today, that, this is only the start and as well, we want more. Isn't that right? We want more. One's not going to make us satisfied, just like what the Bucks try to do. And so many he, he put a big teams. target on their back, but if there's any team in the league that can continue going and uh, make another run, I think it might be the Denver Nuggets, Yuri. As always, I appreciate your time. We'll speak very shortly again, but um, try and have a good day, man. Oh, awesome. Thank you for having me as always, Alex. Thanks, mate. Okay, the Denver Nuggets, NBA champions for the first time in their 47-year history in the NBA. And with me, I've got Tom Dev from theroyal.com and Jack Brophy from Sports Confidential. That's how I are. Fantastic. How are you guys going? That was a great yeah. game, Tom, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it was a great game, but, uh, you know, another season's ended. So I don't know what I'm going to do for the next four months, but we'll have to see. Yeah, Jack, just before you joined, we are talking about how depressed we are now. There's no games for a little bit, but I'm sure we'll have enough content to cover the offseason. Um, Tom and I were also talking about how Game 5 felt a bit of like a Game 7 scenario. I know Tom and I both had the chance to watch the full game and you just caught highlights at the end of it. Um, but that 94-89 to 89 victory was a real slog, wasn't it, Tom? Yeah, it really did feel like a Game 7. Everyone just sort of felt tight. No one really got in a groove. There was open shots that you know players have been hitting all series except for the Heat roll players, which we'll touch on a little bit later. But Denver were missing them. Even Jokic, he, he wasn't really shooting the ball. He's just very hesitant. Jimmy Butler missed two free throws in the first quarter, which he just doesn't do. And it just, it did, it really did feel like both teams were fighting for their lives. And really, it was only the one. Um, and Jack, I know you watched the first few games in this series pretty heavily. How did you see game five shaking out knowing how game four turned out? Yeah, look, I think everyone sort of had the. Um, perspective, especially probably even only after game one, to be honest, that Denver were going to go away and win it. Obviously, I know that Miami won game two, might not, but you just had that feeling that my uh, Denver had everything sort of ticking together. Like Aaron Gordon, I think he had a fantastic whole final series mm. altogether. Obviously, today he wasn't as good at having four points, seven rebounds, but game before he had 29 points. You know, he was electric and he was probably the reason that they won that game to stretch it to 3 1. So, um, yeah, it's it sort of had that feel to it where everyone was like, oh, Denver is going to win it. But just imagine if Miami sort of comes back. Um, and obviously it wasn't to be winning um, so comfortably as they did. But um, I think it was the result that everyone sort of did expect it. I remember we did the predictions for it and everyone was pretty much on the same page around, you know, Denver in six, Denver in five, that sort of feeling to it. And we just sort of hoped that there was a, there was a game seven or maybe Miami did steal it, but that's how it turned out. Well, they made it pretty close today, man. Uh, they were up by one, Miami was, entering the final quarter. But then they kind of, I don't know whether they fell apart or if that defense from Denver was uh, really beautiful. They went a five-minute stretch from nine and a half left in that final quarter to four and a half minutes where Miami didn't score a single point. Like it was turnovers, it was steals, it was really good defense. Um, and that's when Jimmy Butler scored 13 in a row, Tom. Did you feel like Miami were about to pull one out on the road? There was a part of me that thought maybe, but I don't know. I just, every time they got the ball to Jokic on offense, I just went, he's going to score. He's at least going to set something up. And then when he didn't score, they were there for the offensive rebound. I mean, Bruce Brown had that massive uh, putback layup that was, that that really shifted the momentum. And I don't know. I Jimmy did feel like he was going to take over, but at the same time, I feel like it was two quarters too late. He needed to be doing that at least from halftime, which just, Really didn't help. And I mean, we'll probably touch on Jimmy's performance overall as a whole a bit later. But yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't feel too uncomfortable as, a, as watching it as a neutral. Um, but I did feel like the Nuggets were always going to kind of take over and win that one. Yeah. he uh, Jimmy Butler had eight points up until that point. I think he was two for 15 from the floor, if I'm not mistaken. Like a really poor shooting night. I uh, was intimidated by Nikola Jokic inside. He'd go and get position, fake, and just push back out. Like he didn't have position under the rim. Um, then hit those two back-to-back possessions, threes from that corner. Got fouled on another one, which was a, a bit of a dubious call. Jack, I don't know if you caught that one, but um, Aaron Gordon... I'm air quoting here, moved into his landing space and he was awarded three free throws. You saw that one, Jack? Yeah, I did. And I think it's um, great that you sort of mentioned that because it was something that I was going to bring up about Jimmy Butler. Like obviously had these struggles in that throughout the game, but the comparison between the superstars and the two team, I know Jimmy's had a fantastic um, playoffs run and towards the end, but 
you're looking at obviously the MVP who should have been probably the MVP for the third season running, um, going to carry across his team compared to sort of Jimmy Butler, who's just been sort of in and out, especially probably the last three or four games. He's really sort of dropped off, I feel. Um, so there, there's your difference at the end of the day. And um, obviously the role players, um, like Tom's going to get into himself as well. I feel like um, role players like your Bruce Browns, even Braun coming across the bench has sort of really had that sort of add to the team. And if you look at Denver, they sort of have those layers that are covered. You've got your, your main, main superstar in Jokic. You've got Murray who can absolutely deliver. He had that 30-point triple-double, um, which was crazy the other day. I mean, he, he nearly had a triple-double again today. And then you've got Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. who can give you what they can give you. I just feel like they're starting five depth compared to the Miami Heat starting five depth was always going to be a challenge. We might talk about those role players right after we talk about Bam Adebayo, Tom. I know uh, both you and I watched the entire game, and Jack, for your benefit, he had 18 points in the first half and looked really, really good. Um, maybe defending Nikola Jokic the entire game took it out of him. He only had two points in the second. He missed four at the rim in the second half, like really consequential misses. Um, how do you think Bam played, Tom? I think from an overall series perspective, he was by far and away the Heat's best player and most important player. To the point where it's whenever he went to the bench, they seriously struggled. And yes, a lot of that was defending um, Jokic. But going through him through offense was their best option. Uh, and they did, like the Nuggets gave him that mid-range jump shot every time because it wasn't a consistent scoring method. And when he was hitting it, we saw him. I mean, I think he scored 20 or more in every game this series, if I'm not wrong. Uh, making a uh, face maybe, yeah. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, which I mean, previously before the finals, I think their record they'd never lost that this playoff run when he scored twenty or more points. Um, and you know, it just didn't really matter because Jimmy was not bringing the heat with him. Um, look, I think this is going to be real positive because the conversation during the midseason was maybe they should trade Bam because he's just not living up to how he was in the bubble two years ago. But if this playoff run's anything to go by, you can definitely build around him for the future. And when Jimmy does leave the Heat or retires as a Heat player in a few years, you, you're not completely going to fall off if, if Bam's your number one guy. Uh, you were right on the money, Tom. I've just gone to stat news really quickly and bang on the money, 20 points in each of the last five games. So not bad from, uh, I think he's 25-year-old Bam Adebayo. Um, let's move on quickly to the Denver Nuggets and the role players on that team as well. It depends if you want to consider Michael Porter Jr. a role player. He kind of had it going early for Denver. Um, wasn't great from the floor this series, but had a lot of hustle. Uh, Jack, what do you think about Michael, Jun- Michael Porter Jr.'s play during the NBA Finals? Um, <clears throat> people have probably seen the memes of the ones where he should have taken the passes that he could have had. Um, but at the end of the day, he is a sort of a shooter, and that's the sort of role that he can play. He's never really been a playmaker, so don't go and try and make massive plays in the Finals when you haven't done that throughout the season. So. I do think he's a role player um, and he has that sort of streaky form where he can have that X factor where he can drop you maybe 25 points. And today, obviously, he had 16 points and 13 rebounds. Like, he can be a really good player and I think he's a really good number four player in that team. And if you're a four player, yeah, well, at the end of the day, you probably are a role player. I still have Aaron Gordon just over him just for the capabilities and what he can do. But now he's an NBA champion. People can't really say too much. And that's and it's quite funny. Like we're we're looking at it from quite an analytical point of view, but I, it feels like there's a little bit of somberness about sort of the NBA finals. Like I don't know, it was because the Boston Miami game, like obviously Game Six was like, oh my god, what a finish! It's going to Game Seven. What can happen here? It's just sort of 
the rollout of what we had. But um, I just before I was on here, I seen a funny reel, and it was like um, talking about on ESPN when they go, "Okay, the Denver Nuggets have won the NBA Finals. Now it's time to talk about the trade news and what LeBron James is going to be doing <laughs> this season." And it was like that's just sort of the feel that um, it's had probably the last couple of days. And um, Eason is a massive basketball fan myself. People are already talking talk about trades. Talking about CP3, which we'll get into later on as well. But, um, yeah, I do think that Michael Porter Jr., um, to answer your question right back to the start, um, I think he is a deserving champion at the end of the day. And um, if, he's, if he's a role player in your team, he's a bloody good one at that. Let's move on to the superstars on that team, which is Jamal Murray, who is the best player who's never made an all-star team in NBA history, I think, uh, and Nikola Jokic. So Jokic finishes the uh, NBA playoffs for the first time. A player leads in points, rebounds, and assists, total points, rebounds, and assists for the playoffs. Um, and him and uh, Jamal Murray are the third most points per game by a winning title duo in NBA history behind Shaq and Kobe and Curry and Durant. Um, quite an impressive two-man game between the two of them. Tom, I know at times in this game, Miami didn't have any answers to stop them today or the series. Um, speak a little on Jamal Murray or Nikola Jokic. Yeah, well, I think for starters, I, I do think we need to sort of settle down on the whole Jokic run without an all-star because when you look at Murray's sort of resume, he didn't come onto the scene until the bubble started and go up the next year was injured and then the year after was injured. So, would he have made the All Stars during those years? Probably. So it's not. It's not like he's he's winning with a bunch of you know role players who you know aren't All Star caliber kind of players. Um, but I think what he did coming off that ACL injury is by far and away you know more than what we expected him to do. I thought the Nuggets would be good in the second round this year with Murray, and then maybe next year they'd make that championship sort mm. of contention run. But from the get go, he was fantastic. And I think the biggest, I, I, I think the most important. Uh, part was when in game four in that f- uh, fourth quarter when Jokic picked up that fifth foul and it wasn't like Murray was playing well but he didn't go into his shell he came in he took over he had that great uh, three off a screen and then he just let Bruce Brown take uh, take over um, I think this is just going to show that this this duo is not going anywhere and they're going to be contending with the Paul Georges and Kawhis and LeBrons and Davises for much longer than those you know, those two LA duos are probably ever going to be around for. Jack, I'll let you talk about those superstars as well. And then uh, you raise a really interesting point, Tom, about these guys not going anywhere. So Jack, go ahead first. I think that that's great as well. And you've sort of given me a segue there, Tom, um, in talking about superstars within a team and not saying that I completely agree on the fact that um, you had the bubble, then the injuries and whatnot. Do you guys, it's probably a question back to you guys. Do you see Jamal Murray now as a top 15 player in the league? Instant React says maybe not top 15, but I'd have to think about it, Tom. Yeah, it's one of those things where you got to kind of write out your list because, like, yeah. you, you think, like, after a player, you go, yeah, top 15 sounds about right. But then when you think about some of the players, you just, I don't know. Because, I mean, just top of your head, you got, like, you know, Giannis, Embiid, Jokic, like, Tatum, SGA, um, Jimmy, like, LeBron, Davis, Yo- uh, Doncic. Like that's nine already. Um, yeah. So it's interesting, but he, he has potential. And, and yeah. you know what? It, it, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think Murray's going to care where he ranks on ESPN's rankings next season. It, when it comes to playoffs, he's probably in my top like 20 players that I want on my team at least. Yeah, that's, for sure. <laughs> that's what I was going to yeah. say. And that's, and that's probably another point as well. If he's in your top 20 players that you want on a team, he, pray, he basically is an all-star. 
Yeah. Um, look, this, this so, duo. Yeah, that was that was the point of my question. You're right. This duo of uh, Nicole Jokic and Jamal Murray not going anywhere. Everybody in the starting lineup not going anywhere for Denver. Um, something Tom and I were talking about before you joined the call, Jack, is are Denver the title famous favorites next year? We have a lot of teams that have improved, like uh, the Celtics that may make a move, the Phoenix Suns thrown together at the back end of this year, LeBron and the Lakers, if he stays with the Lakers, uh, might think they're a good chance. Are the Denver Nuggets the title favorites for next year? Uh, it's a great question. Um, for me, I still think the Bucks are right up there. I think that the injuries to Giannis and what he, what happened to him, um, obviously firing their coach is massive, but I still think the Bucks have the same sort of dynamic. They have that superstar in Giannis, and then they have their role players in Drew Holiday, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis from there on out, and then they have the depth on the bench from there. So I think between those two teams are probably the favourites for me. Tom? Yeah, I, look, just from a West perspective, I look, you, you, they're going to be the favourites. When you win the championship, you go into the next season. The well, you should be. Yeah. You should be. It, it's pretty rare that you're not. I, I, think, I think maybe Toronto is probably the only one where that was, wasn't the case, and that was just because Kawhi left them. But when you look at the teams, like I think the Suns are going to be better. You'd have to assume Clippers probably better if they everyone gets healthy. Warriors will probably be better. Lakers will probably be better. Timberwolves, is there a cap trade out there? Maybe. Um, Pelicans, if they can stay healthy, should be better. Thunder, you assume, are going to make another step. And Mavericks, they have to be better this year. Next it's season, a loaded West. It's a loaded West. So I, it's not going to be a guarantee. And I mean, the one thing that went, you know, that went really well for Denver is they've stayed relatively injury free all year. And you know what? They deserved it. The sports gods bless them. After two years of no Murray, no Michael Porter Jr., they deserved it. And you can't knock them for that. But, you know, who knows? But uh, honestly, I, I, I've been tossing it up for the last three, four days. Are they going to be a dynasty or not? It's it's kind of hard because Jokic has never really been injured. And, I mean, besides that one stretch this season, no one's really been able to pick on him. And the thought process was it beats the MVP because wait till the playoffs. Jokic is going to be picked apart on defense. And today, Jimmy Butler was afraid to go into the paint because Jokic was standing there. So... I'm thinking maybe a pass mark for this team at the moment is one more championship in the next two, three seasons. Same thing we said about the Bucks a couple of years ago, and yet they haven't gone back either. Um, this leaves us in an interesting spot for Miami, Jack. I don't know if you've got any thoughts about what they should do in the offseason. I know none of us really expected them to get here. Tom had an article penned in round one about trading Jimmy Butler. Uh, Jack, what do you think the Heat should do in the offseason? Well, they flipped the script from where I had them. I had them blowing the team up before the playoffs started. So I think they've had a fantastic run. Um, they deserve the credit they can get. I always think that um, we are a bit knee-jerk reaction in things, including um, ourselves at times. There's probably no reason why they can't run it back again with the team that they do have now. They've sort of proven that they can do it. Maybe they need that extra piece on top of it. I think especially in the starting lineup, Kevin Love, Cole Lowry getting a lot older. So they might need someone newer, someone fresher, maybe even uh, a Cole Kuzma. Who knows? Mm. They could add someone into that team. Um, that would be fantastic. So I think that they can run it back. Whether or not they should, that's another question, I guess. What, I do, also, you, what do you think, Alex? Well, I had the Miami Heat as a target to blow it up in the 2020 bubble, and yet they made a fool out of me. They go to the Eastern Conference Finals again and make it to the NBA Finals two years later. So, um, Tom, I don't know whether you agree with 
that point from Jack or whether I, I don't want to pick on you saying you had an article ready to click send the editor to blow the well, heat up. But. Well, I, I, I'm so glad I didn't send it out because ironically uh, the trade proposal was to send Jimmy to Denver because I didn't think Denver were going to win with uh, Murray and Michael Porter Jr. So it's, it's, it's a good one. That was long gone in the trash on my computer. So it's a good thing that never went anywhere. But You um, could have kept look, that to yourself and we would have never known, mate. Ah. Uh, Good, a good little nugget for the listeners. Hey, the, uh, on the other side, I did say Denver would win in five in the final. So, uh, you know, ebbs and flows. Um, but look, what I've got in my notes here is, uh, look, that may have been the Heat's last title shot. I mean, Butler's 33, Lowry's 37. They've got very limited cap flexibility. Struess and Vincent are free agents. So I don't really see how if they can return next season because you have to assume after, despite their poor showings in the, in the finals, you have to think that they're going to get uh, a you know, more money than Miami can mm. offer them. Um, and look, Oladipo unlikely to return next season with injury. They'll probably try and trade his $9 million, um, and just get off the cap. Um, but directly underneath that in my notes, I said we did say this last season, though. So <laughs> who knows? When, when Jimmy missed that three against the Celtics in game seven last year, I kind of went, okay, I think that's Miami done for contention. And here they are again. So never write them out off. That's all I can say about the Heat. They're just the boogie, man. There is one thing that I will say, and I, I don't like... Sort of giving it to sort of players, but Max Struess had a very horrible final series. Um, and for a player that can be a knockdown player, he went games where he was one from seven, zero from six, um, and he was starting as well. So I think, and you, did you say he was unrestricted free agent now? Was that what yeah. it was? Yeah. yeah. So uh, if I was them, I'd be looking to sort of replace him with a, a better two or three from there. Because, yeah, just plays like that, Martin, Vincent, you need all of them to sort of click at once for sort of things to happen, and it did for so long throughout that playoff run. But um, whether or not it's sustainable again next year, I don't think so. Yeah, Max Struess had two golden ducks in five games in the NBA Finals. He averaged 5.8 points on 25 minutes through five games, shooting 22% from the floor, I think, so uh, not great stats. Uh, Anything else on the NBA Finals, gentlemen, or we can move through to some news we've missed this week? Nothing else? Uh, I've, Go ahead. I've got, I've got one, uh, one quite an unpopular opinion in there. Might be, not, not too controversial, but um, there was a man on the heat bench who was not used today. And, uh, and his name is not Tyler Hero. Okay. It's actually uh, Udonis Haslam. And this kind, of, this kind of was a little bit of a conversation topic last year in the playoffs, but it, it kind of went away. But... Should they have kept Haslam on the roster? I mean, look, he's a leader, heat culture and et cetera, et cetera, and all that. But, I mean, you could have just brought him back as a coach, really. There's no difference. And, look, having another body to throw at Jokic might have really helped them in the end. I mean, Zeller was unplayable. Like, he played, like, I think, three minutes, not even three minutes, like a couple minutes today and was a negative, like, six or something. Um, and Spo didn't trust Love. Uh, to play the five when Bam needed to rest and small ball didn't work. And I mean, Bam averaged 41.7 minutes through the series and he looked so exhausted having to be the main guy on both ends of the floor um, while also matching all the Jokic minutes. Like Jokic, you know, sure, he's not the worst defender in the world, but he does get to rest on that defensive spot. Um, whereas Bam was, you know, the focal point on both ends. So they needed another guy and they weren't going to play Haslam. And look, sure, the last guy on the bench is, isn't really going to make an impact in the NBA finals, but... That being said, this is the team that boasts how good their undrafted guys are. So, like, they could have potentially found an undrafted player. Or, as much as, as funny as this might be to say, Dwight Howard was available. And, you know, <laughs> he's not great, but he was all right against Jokic in the bubble. And he couldn't have been much worse than Zeller. So, I don't know. One to think, one to ponder over. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. 
they also made it to the NBA Finals, so you can't hate on them that much. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jack, uh, moving on to your most important news story of the week, what did you have? Well, this is probably biased coming from my point of view, but Monty Williams signing with the Detroit Pistons, he originally turned down the offer, I think it's $72 million um, over five years. So ridiculous money, um, but he he did it with Phoenix. Um, They were really up and coming when they had DeAndre Ayton and whatnot of the team come through. And um, for my sake, as a Pistons fan, I hope you can do the same thing, which we will deep dive into later on. But, yeah, that's obviously my news of the week. But what about you? That's like the one positive thing that's happened to Detroit all year. (laughs) 100%. We've tanked all year and then we uh, have the worst record and we still get picked five. Hey, we, we might have some solutions to get your higher pick in just a couple of minutes. We'll get to that. Hopefully yeah. we try. Uh, Tom, your we'll new story of the week. week. Yeah, it was uh, reported that Kyrie Irving apparently reached out to LeBron James. If he'd come to Dallas, um, probably would have been the world's shortest phone call, in my opinion. But um, And also, Houston might be interested in Kyrie if uh, they don't get Harden. Uh, my question is, and look, this is a biased Celtics fan view, but uh, why does anyone want him? Like, let's just go quickly through the through the timeline. So in 2018, demands trade to the Celtics, gets injured, team does better without him in the postseason. 2019, quits on the team during the playoffs. 2020, joins the Nets, refuses to go to the bubble. 2021, gets injured in the second round, could have potentially won the championship that year, but hey, he's always injured, so... 2022, doesn't play most of the season due to the vaccination laws. They get swept in the first round. He only scores 46 points combined from games two to four. 2023, anti-Semitic tweet, demands trade, missed the playoffs with the Mavs. I mean, since he's left LeBron, this is a stat that I I found crazy. He has only scored 30 or more points in the playoffs three times. That's five postseason runs that he's had. One, of course, he missed through injury, but that's five postseason runs. That he's not. That those are the stats he's putting up on. But look, I don't think anyone should offer him a four-year deal. So I don't really know where he goes, uh, really. And I think he might just end up having to stay in Dallas because he has no other options. Yeah, Jack. I don't know if you feel the same way. I think the likelihood of him resigning in Dallas to use as an asset is pretty high. Yeah. The only the only reason I completely agree on that, like you're not want to get and bring him in to sort of disrupt a culture of a team that's sort of going well. The only reason would be from a marketability point of view, whether it's a Charlotte Hornets or an Indiana Pacers saying, "Hey, we've got a franchise player here now that can come along with either Halliburton or Lamelo Ball." That was I was trying to think as Tom was sort of saying that, going where it would actually fit. And I, I just think from a compatibility point of view, I don't see him sort of going anywhere higher. Okay, a couple other things that happened this week uh, really quickly. Chris Paul was waived and then not waived by the Phoenix Suns. Uh, apparently, it was a miscommunication with his management and uh, that contract status is kind of still up in the air. Um, the Suns still have a boatload of money next year on their books, $129 million just between Durant, Booker, Aiden, and Chris Paul, even if they waive him. So, they're in financial trouble. Um, Udonis Haslam played an NBA Finals game at the age of 43, becomes the oldest ever. Um, Grant Williams, the Celtic, who will be an unrestricted free agent, I believe, Tom, um, had surgery on his left hand. Five seconds, does that excuse his play in the Finals? Uh, Maybe. I don't know. I mean, look, he's a restricted free agent. I don't think he's going to come back to the Celtics just because of cap reasons, but Mm. wish him the best. And finally, and most importantly for Raptors fans, um, we hired the Grizzlies assistant whose name I haven't yet mastered, uh, Darko Rayakovic. I'm going to assume that is. 
Uh, apparently a bit of a defensive identity um, coming from him. Uh, Fred Van Vliet uh, did not sign a, a player option after they made that move. So Toronto maybe... Alex, how do you feel about Fred Van Vliet? Interesting, because I think they probably will retool. Uh, Fred Van Vliet's a great player. We don't win a championship without him. Um, hasn't been the best player on the team the last two years. Does shoot a bit too much. Is small and aging uh, post a groin injury, I, I think he had two years ago. Um, I'd love to keep him on the team, but for 23 mil, he'll he'll want 35. Uh, probably a, a smarter play to let him go and retool. Uh, we have something coming up, which I don't know if I've if you guys have read the Google Doc, where Pascal Siakam may be a trade thing as well. And I think uh, the Raptors could retool in a positive direction. But um, it'd be sad to see him go. I've got two Van Vliet jerseys, but um, yeah, change is the spice of life. All right, moving on to our off-season planning. This is something we're doing every episode uh, for the next few weeks where we take two franchises at least and see uh, what direction we want them to go. Uh, Jack, we'll start with Portland and then we'll get to Detroit. Um, the Portland Trailblazers this off-season, they uh, have the number three pick in the draft for now uh, and they have $99 million committed to Damian Lillard, Anthony Simons, Yusuf Nurkic, Shaden Sharp, and Nasir Little. Um, a couple free agents for them are Cam Reddish, Matisse Thibault, Jeremy Grant, and Justice Winslow. Jeremy Grant, probably the only major one there. Um, there's been a lot of talk about they want to improve this team around Damian Lillard and not trade him away. Um, Jack, do you want to start with Portland Trailblazers and what you might do if you're their GM or working in the team? Well, I think they're the hottest um, franchise that are going into this free agency because if you have Damian Lillard, He's either going to try and bring a real powerful player in or he's going to leave himself. So either way, they're going to be in the news. Um, for me, honestly, I think Port, uh, if I was a Portland Trailblazers supporter, I'd want to trade Damian Lillard. I reckon rebuild themselves, get some picks in, build your team around. You've got Matisse Thibel, who's great on both ends of the floor. You've got young players in Anthony Simons. Fantastic plays like this. I just feel like their list is sort of in that sort of no man's land where nothing's really going to happen. I don't think adding a superstar in is going to immediately just go, hey, look, they're a top four team in the West now. I think it's so much more than that for it to happen. Um, and I think getting rid of Damian Lillard and just saying, okay, let's start afresh here is probably the way to go for them. And I, I think it has to come down to sort of draft picks. You're probably not going to get anyone um, of value at a young age for Damian Lillard, I don't think. So about yeah. you, Tom? Yeah, look, I, I think it's time to trade Dame. Uh, I sort of went through all the teams in the West and unless they're going to trade for like a top eight player, which I don't really, you know, with that number three pick, I don't think pairing Dame with like a, a you know, subpar superstar is going to make them better than about 11 teams in the West. So it's like, it's not worth really giving up a three pick just to, you know, maybe make the play in. So if I'm them, I'm building around, you know, Simons, Sharp, the three pick and whatever assets you kind of get from bringing Dame, trading out Dame. But look, I've kind of come up with a Dame trade checklist because there's, there's, the reality is uh, there's going to be a couple of things that need to be met for him to be traded. And one, he needs to go to a contender. There's no point. A, a rebuilding team's not going to take him. He's not going to want to go to a, a, a mid-table team. He's going to want to go to a team that's in that top five, six bracket. Then secondly, the team is going to be willing to, they're going to need to be willing to pay the tax because that new CBA coming in, there's just going to be heaps of rules and just things going around. And that contract only gets bigger from here. Um, and then look, the Trailblazers will need to either get back a good young player or some decent draft capital. And in my opinion, that really only leaves the Knicks, Celtics, Cavs, 76ers potentially, and the Suns as teams 
that might be able to trade for him and meet that sort of criteria. And really, the best the best trade that I could come up with was the Cavs give up Darius Garland, Okoro, uh, and maybe a couple picks in there, and then Lillard goes back the other way. Or reportedly, it came out to, I think this morning that the Pelicans want Scoot Henderson, and they could do a three team trade there. Um, maybe try and get Herb Jones back or something like that. But really, it's it's not that appealing. And the other trades, like Celtics, would have to involve Brown, Knicks, RJ Barrett, quickly, picks, 76ers, Maxi, Harris, picks, and you just have to bank on the 76ers imploding, or the Suns, Payne and Aiton. Like, it's not really as big of a market as I think people think it is. I don't know. That's just my thoughts, though. I had the same thing as... I- I'm, I would lean towards keeping him, but if you were going to trade him, the market's a bit funny at the moment, particularly as this information about the new CBA comes through. It will really handicap teams moving forward. I wonder if Portland could take advantage of uh, a new GM in Washington and try and swindle them somehow. Um, I came up with a wild blow it up trade, but not for Portland. I don't know if you've read through the doc uh, yet, Tom, but I'll, I'll read it out and you tell me whether this works for these three teams. So this team centers around keeping Damian Lillard in Portland bringing in DeMar DeRozan. So it's a blow-it-up trade for the Bulls. The Bulls get Yusuf Nurkic, Nasir Little, Keon Johnson, and the number three pick. Portland get DeMar DeRozan and a future first. It has to be further out uh, due to reasons. Um, The Bulls then trade Alex Caruso to the Clippers for Marcus Morris Sr. and two second-round picks. Now, what this does for the Bulls is it gets them off all the big money. Um, uh, Vucevic is a free agent. Um, DeMar DeRozan, obviously huge money. The only thing le- left is uh, Zach Levine, who you can move to a market who needs a superstar, cough, cough, Charlotte Hornets. Um, but that Alex Caruso trade for Marcus Morris also gives the Clippers a bit of extra gunning because they're going to have uh, no point guard unless they re-sign Russell Westbrook and they don't care about second-round picks next year. They just want to be good now. Um, how do you feel about that pick, uh, excuse me, that scenario, Tom? I like it for the Bulls. I do yeah. not like it for the for the Trailblazers. I just I just think Dame and DeRozan aren't, aren't going to get you even past the first round. I mean, DeRozan isn't exactly a notable playoff performer. I mean, Toronto traded him and won a championship straight away. Um, I just, I just think I value hey, That's a tough <laughs> subject. <laughs> hey, end of the day, you can count how many rings you've got from that trade and you, you got to be a bit happy from it. But No one involved in this entire trade has any rings. <laughs> there you go. Um, but I, I just I value that three pick, um, and a few a few a few NBA reporters, journalists that are, are really high on Scoot Henderson, and they reckon he will be available at the three pick. And I I just I take that risk. I think it's it's better to build around him than try and risk trading him. Because just imagine if in like five years time, Scoot Henderson's you know a top five top three point guard in the league, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden Damian Lillard's out of the league or you're paying him, you know, that $50 million contract, you're just going to look like fools if you haven't even made the playoffs with them. So it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Portland. I think they'll be in a lot of trade rumors, but maybe uh, not do much. Um, Jack, it's time. Detroit Pistons. You got a new head coach in Monty Williams. We talked about, you've only got $45 million committed at the moment. Um, Bogd- uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, 20 mil, Marvin Bagley, the third at 12 and a half, Jaden Ivey, J- uh, Jalen Duran and RJ Hampton are the only other guys you've committed money to. Uh, I think, you know, but you've got team options available for Cade Cunningham at 11 mil, Alec Burks at 10, James Wiseman at 12, which is interesting. Uh, then Killian Hayes, Isaiah Stewart and Isaiah Livers. So there is a lot of flexibility for Detroit. What do you do, man? 
Well, for the next five hours, we'll get into it. <laughs> no, of course not. I love your work there too. That's great work on the um, on the contracts and how much money that we do have available because I think that is a really valuable tool now that we have a really a head coach that's sort of been there and done it. Whereas I feel like Dwayne Casey, I know he'd been okay in that, but it was just, okay, we're in the rebuild, we're in the rebuild. Um, maybe at the start I was thinking, especially when Kay Cunningham got injured, that we should just go, okay, let's look at the victor, you know, let's look at the top three draft pick. I think once Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller and Victor's off the board, I think from there it's it's anyone's pick. So for now I'm thinking why not go and use that pick to sort of get some leverage and go bang. Um so if you look at our list, I think you got Jaden Ivey, Caden Cunningham, you're going to be your two your two guards. Um, Bojan Bogdanovic, who thought, I thought had a fantastic year, mm-hmm. um, is a really um, good knockdown shooter, can sort of play a little bit of defense as well, can be at your three. And then it's sort of take your pick from there. I think you probably have Wiseman at the four and then Duran, Jalen Duran, who I'm massive on. And um, reading up today on it, he was born November 18th, 2003. And if you have a look at him, he does not look like he was born in 2003. Like he looks like an absolute man mountain. And I think he's going to be one of the most underrated players, even going into next season. So where do we sort of build from there? I think you've got to look at the wing positions. And um, for once in my life, I've actually done a bit of research. And I really... <laughs> I really, really think um, that Kim Johnson from the Brooklyn Nets as a restricted free agent could be great. He shot 40%. He shot 41.6% from the last two seasons from three. Um, he can defend the game as well, and he's really, really good in terms of that. Um, he can be an all-defensive player in our team, which Detroit was ranked 27th in the league overall for the year in defense, and that goes without saying anyway, without having to look at the stats. Um, and if not him, um, I mean, I spoke about earlier, Kyle Kuzma. But the only issue with Kyle Kuzma is I think that he has that sort of that waning form where he can go and drop your 30 points, but maybe he's sort of a bit of like Michael Porter Jr. in, uh, in the aspects from there. Um, so they're probably my really two big players that I think um, could be brought into the side to sort of steady um, the starting five because I think the depth from there, you've got Killian Hayes, who I think is... Horrible. I'm not going to lie. He's just generally horrible. It's just a wasted pick. Um, everyone sort of knows it. He's had a couple of good games with some triple doubles, but overall he's just he just doesn't cut the mustard for me. Um, and you need to start adding some, some sort of star players around, and I think that the team can actually turn it around really, really quickly if you bring one of those players in. But um, I'm actually sort of interested to see what you guys think as well, obviously. Tom, you go first. Yeah, so look, I think one one thing that I really want to emphasize on is we're, we're obviously in the NBA world, it's just so quick on to the next thing. Everyone forgets that it was only a few seasons ago that there was a tankathon for Cade Cunningham as well. Like the people thought he was going to be a generational talent as well. I, mean, I probably should have phrased that a bit better because it made it sound like I've, I've given up on him. He's played one year and he was very solid in that one year. Right. He's going to be good. I, mean, I, I think he's going to be a very good player. And he could definitely be the face of the franchise for the next 15 years if, if he stays there. So I, th- I think build around Cade. I, I, I think uh, build a culture with that young call. I mean, that's what you've paid Monty Williams to basically do. Um, wait out the likes of the Bucks, Celtics, 76ers, Heat, and then you'll come in ready to contend, assuming you can build it up. I mean, see what you have in Wiseman, Bagley, Ivy. And then I really like Isaiah Stewart, like Duran, RJ Hampton could turn into something. You know, maybe, maybe Killian Hayes will, 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 will turn it around. I don't know. Um, but they're all under the age of 23 and they could be handy players. And then one thing that I saw when I was doing my notes for the for the Pistons, 
I like, look, I really do like Bogdanovich, but he's old. I mean, you, just, you don't realize how old he is. I think mm. he's 30, 35. Yeah. I think at the deadline, trade him for as much draft capital as you can. And I reckon the team that's ready for the for, for the taking, and, and, and one that was kind of similar how everyone wanted the Lakers picks, is the 76ers. Mm. I think if Harden, even if Harden stays, if Harden stays, Harden walks, I, I think don't think they're going to be you know as good as people think they will be. So look, obviously you're not going to be getting a star player from the Sixers back. I mean, it'd be great to get a Maxi sort of back, but they're not going to trade Maxi. But I think Jalen McDaniels, hmm. yeah, he, he was solid uh, for most of the season. But I, I, what I think pretty much is just go Bogdanovich um, at the deadline for as much capital as you can from them. You take back Harris's expiring contract. I mean, it's a bit of a bit of a coming home moment for for him. He was he was okay in his Detroit years, but you'll probably wave him straight away anyway. Um, <laughs> But take future draft picks and just get, uh, you know, a few years down the road with Embiid, he's 30. Like, people forget that. He is 30. So, you know, with his injury history, with his playoff failures, is he really going to stick around in Philly for the next five, six, seven years? I don't think so. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's off there in two years. So that pick could end up being quite a good one. And if you can get rid of Bogdanovich for a top 10 pick in the future, that's a win in my opinion. Jack, we got less than five minutes left tonight, but I've got four trade options that I want to flick to you and you give me your immediate reaction whether you like them or not. Because I, I stole one of these, but I spent a little bit of time on each of them. So the mm-hmm. one I stole was from The Athletic. Um, it's Pascal Siakam for Alec Burke, Bojan Bogdanovic, James Wiseman, and number five pick. How do you feel? Take it. Straight okay. up. Because I think Thank the Raptors you. do that as well. They get James Wiseman as a center. Uh, Jakob Pertl's a, a free agent. We might not bring him back. Uh, number five and Boyan Bogdanovich. So you take that one. All right, sweet. One for one. Uh, trade number two, you send pick number five to the Spurs and some change for Keldon Johnson and a future first. Keldon gives you that wing depth if you strike out on uh, Cam Johnson um, and he's a threat without the ball, still only 24 years old. No, I wouldn't take it. Uh, the you got Ivy Cunningham coming up. I feel like the, there'll be a bit of ball hogging going on now, I don't think. Okay. What about this one? You trade up from five to three with the Blazers for Boyan Bogdanovich and tinkering around the edges. Oh, oh yeah. I like that one. That's a different left field for it. Um, yeah. It brings into the play of Brandon Miller, who I really wanted to get in the draft for a top three player. And he's sort of that wing player that will grow up with that core. Um, and then if if we ended up getting him, it'd be like the I've honestly and maybe it's a bit biased. I feel like it'd be like the OKC team when they were sort of coming up. Like it has that sort of little bit of feel to it. Obviously, the younger version, but yeah, like that one that. that one's a bit finicky with salary cap. You have to get about eight mil back from Portland. Uh, Shaden Sharp's at six, so you might end up getting Shaden Sharp back as well. I don't think they want to get rid of that, but um, it's possible, but finicky. And then the last one is an outright trade for John Collins from Atlanta for Alec Burks and James Wiseman. No, I wouldn't take that. Okay. So um, with the two teams we just spoke about, Portland and Detroit, where do we see them finishing next year, both of them? So we'll go with you first, Alex. Uh, Portland higher, but no good. Detroit, I think you'll have a good year, but it'll be a first year under a new head coach, a lot of young guys. So I think some watchable basketball for you, Jack, which is a bit different from the norm for the last couple of years. Um, Portland, I would expect Portland, if they make a move, to be 8-7-6, but maybe not in good health long term. What about you, Tom? I reckon Detroit, encouraging signs, maybe finish the year 27-55, sort of around that Hornets range, get another lottery pick next year. The following season, they'll probably contend for the play-in. Uh, Portland, even with Dame, if they unless they trade for another star, I don't think they're going to even make the play-in. I, I'm so out on Portland, it's not even funny. 
Uh, Jack and Tom, we'll leave it there, but I've got one final question for you, Jack. Is Cade Cunningham an all-star next year? Yes, 100%. Okay, we'll hold you to that. Big call. I think he'll be in in the question. He was playing really well last year before um, that injury this year. People uh, forget that he's a 25 and 5 player, and that was before he got injured. Like, he can play. So, yeah, that's it for me. All right. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, I'll be back in contact with you in a couple of days for our uh, next version of this. We'll go through about four or five teams. The Denver Nuggets, that's the story we'll leave on. NBA champions for the first time in 47 years. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Alex.